even with that defense being great, at some point they're going to get in the shootout. He's a great coordinator, not a great head coach. I think there's one thing we're all saying for a fact. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Goal Line Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Cypher, also known as No Huddle NFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is No Huddle NFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at No Huddle NFL, no capitals and no spaces with an underscore at the end. That is, again, at No Huddle NFL, no capitals and no spaces with an underscore at the end. I have a very special episode for you guys because I'm not recording this one on a Wednesday. Now that I have an opening on my schedule, I am going to start uploading these episodes twice a week instead of once. So this way, instead of just getting a prediction podcast out, we're also going to be recapping the games from the week prior, analyzing the games, giving our thoughts. And I say we because another big change for the podcast is I'm now going to start having a rotation of Dom, who's here today. How you doing? Hi, how's it going? <laughs> Miller. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm just listening. Miller, Got Jackson it. Powers, and Rob from Rob Talks Football on the podcast as like a rotational guest. Dom is the first person to come on the show without me needing to type in featuring whoever. But I, I mean, you've been on so frequently, you might as well have been a reoccurring guest. So how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, man. You know, with Monday Night Football coming up tonight, which we'll talk about in like the second half of the episode, I'm a little curious as to how this game's going to go in prime time. I'm kind of preparing myself for the worst right now. Um, I do have a parlay cooked up for this evening, which we can talk about in a bit. But yeah, I'm just, I'm either preparing for some of the worst football I'm about to see or potentially a, a good football game. So I don't know. Yeah, well, the Bills have not been hot as of late. So. An upset is really likely here. Actually, I had this game as my upset of the week. I had the Broncos winning because the Bills have been so bad as of late. And Sean Payton, think think about it like this. They beat the Chiefs, had the bye week, and they beat the Chiefs in very convincing fashion, had the bye week, and now they have an opportunity to beat the Bills right after. If they do that, this has to be one of the best three-week periods in recent Broncos history. Has well, to. yeah, and that's really not saying much, right? I mean, when yeah. the bar is so low, it's like, you know, any any win in the win column, I think, is a pretty good week for the Denver Broncos. That, that's true. That's point. definitely true. But um, the big thing here is it's an opportunity for Sean Payton and that entire Broncos team to kind of revive their image. Right, totally. and that's why I think it's so important. And like I said, this Bills team has not been playing too great. So you know, Sean Payton coming off a of bye, he's an experienced head coach. I expect him to take this one, but we'll see how that ages in the second half of this podcast. For now, let's just jump into a very boring primetime football game. And I'm sorry for not sugarcoating that, but no one is going to act like it deserves to be sugarcoated. Panthers at Bears, just a pathetic display of football how did you feel about that game what were your thoughts did you have any besides just damn both these teams are pretty bad you know while I was eating my dinner before this I had been trying to think of something nice to say about the Carolina Panthers but I really don't have anything um to say the least my first question is when Amazon Prime bought 
Thursday night football? Is this the product that they thought they were going to be getting? Because these are two teams that not only really don't deserve to be playing in a primetime football game, but should really be considered college football teams at this point. I mean, Frank Reich, for crying out loud, dude, you're an offensive head coach, and I've never seen that a side of the ball that is so anemic, so lifeless when they go out there to play this sport. The offensive line might as well be a revolving door. Um, Bryce Young is is out there playing in chaos, complete chaos. The wide receivers don't even look like they're they know what routes they're running. It's just ridiculous to me. And they have talent on this group. Like I'm not making excuses for them because they have two tackles that I think are very talented, pretty solid. Adam Thielen is still a very reliable wide receiver target. No, he's not in the top of the league. Miles Sanders at one point was a top 10 running back in the NFL, and then he left and came to this shithole. Um, am I allowed to curse on this? Uh, so now you're not, but it's okay because I could censor stuff now, so you're good. Oh, okay. It, it used you. to you used to be able to curse, so I don't blame you for doing that. I've had to explain that a lot recently. <laughs> all right, cool. But no, no, yeah. that's fine. But thank you. I, I will refrain from doing that from now on. All good. But yeah, just everything about this offense is it, it starts with the coaching staff, and that's why they haven't been able to put up points because thirteen points against a Bears defense that is not very good is ridiculous. Yeah, and that's exactly how Panthers fans probably feel right now. Frank Reich was supposed to right the ship. No one was expecting him to lead them to the promised land. But people thought an experienced head coach should at least be able to establish a winning culture. And I said a lot during the offseason that I didn't like the move because Frank Reich can't escalate the team. And I did not expect the Panthers to be this bad. I thought that they would be around the middle of the pack. But I also thought that the offensive line would be one of the best offensive lines in the league, and they've been far from that. They have been far from that. Like you said, they have the talent to be a really legit O-line, but for whatever reason, whether it's coaching, whether it's just a lack of work ethic from the Trench Dogs, it just hasn't worked at all. And as a result, the running game can't get going. As a result, Bryce Young has to do similar stuff to what he did in college with a lot of running around the pocket and maneuvering. And in the NFL, he just can't operate like that. He can't. And... I agree with most people when they say that you can't put it all on Bryce Young, but at the same time, he got drafted number one overall. He has to elevate the offense to a point, and I don't think he's done that. Again, I know it's hard. It's definitely hard when the offense is as bad as it is, but when you go number one overall, you're going to get drafted into a poor spot, poor situation. And Bryce Young wasn't branded as some project. He was drafted because people thought he was going to be ready day one. And I'm not asking him to make this offense into one of the top ten offenses in the NFL. But they should be able to do more against Chicago, at least. Yeah, I totally agree. Especially when you consider the fact that Chicago in weeks prior, I mean, when you look at their games against teams like the Broncos... Um, oh my God, who else? Like the Chiefs, jeez. Um, this is a team that literally falls apart in coverage, right? This is a team that a, a guy like Adam Thielen is going to piece them apart in zone because he's going to be able to find the holes in that defense. This is a team where you could really, like, the, I was expecting a Jonathan Mingo breakout game. I predicted the Panthers to win this game because I was like, this is a must win, right? They have your first round pick. You need to win this game to at least make a statement going forward. 
and they just weren't like I can't tell if it's the play calling or if it's the fact that Bryce Young isn't the guy. But I'm leaning towards that Frank Reich is the problem, just based yes. off of his resume alone. Absolutely. It. If there's one person that you blame more than anyone for this entire failed operation we call the Carolina Panthers, it is Frank Reich, without a doubt. I do think there's blame to go around, and that's why I'm willing to take my shot at Bryce Young. And I'm not calling him a bust. I know a lot of people are overreacting saying that. That's definitely not the case. But yes, there's absolutely blame to go around. The number one person that should be getting the blunt of the blame, though, is Frank Reich, 100%. This is a team that runs a lot of short passing concepts and should be able to pick apart a Bears defense that likes to play pretty soft, all right? Everflus doesn't exactly play tight to the line of scrimmage in coverage. He wants his guys playing in these soft zones. And you would think, like you said, Adam Thielen goes nuts. But he didn't. Another thing that baffled me. Only converting 20% of third downs. That hurt them a lot in this game. I mean... Well, and, it, and it doesn't help that they really didn't do... Like, so, Montez Sweat, the brand new acquisition for the Bears. You know that he's, a, a, a I would say, a, an above average pass rusher, right? You're not doing anything with Hayden Hurst to maybe chip him with the tight end a little bit maybe have the running back get involved in pass protection. Like, you know it's third down. You know he's going to need some time when he drops back. And, like, you're just leaving Iki Iquano on an island half the time um, yeah. against a guy who's a really solid athlete. So, I, I don't know. That just makes my head hurt. It's that, by the way, in case you were unaware, Bryce Young averaged 4.9 yards per pass attempt. That is a pitiful, pitiful number. And let's it's not bad. act like the Bears played too well either. Because they didn't. They barely won this game. They won by three points. I mean, it was not it was not a great display by them. I was shocked that they continued to run the ball. They ran it 33 times despite averaging 3.5 yards per carry. That was just, once again, mind-boggling to me. I, I think both I mean, it's kind of what you have to do when Tyson Bajan's out there, right? No, 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 no uh, offense to Tyson Bajan, but... I and mean, that I get, sure. Okay, I understand that. But it's still an NFL quarterback. I mean, you're averaging 3.5 yards per carry in a close football game. You have Cole Komet. You have DJ Moore. Those might not be Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, but those are two guys that you can rely on to elevate Tyson Badgen's play, at least enough for you to feel somewhat confident passing the ball because the running game wasn't working. It was not working no, at all, no. yet they still continue to do it, and it's part of the reason they nearly lost, right? It's part of the reason that mm. it was only a three-point game. This was a bad game by both teams. It just came down to who played less bad, and on that specific Thursday night, it ended up being the Chicago Bears. Now, as for another game that... Another toilet bowl. Yeah. Colts at Patriots. Oh, Although, the Colts have been pretty mid I wouldn't really say that they're trash. Uh, in Germany. Yeah, but... <laughs> not not a very exciting game to show the German crowd, but... You know, at least it was close. Uh, very low scoring. Very, very low scoring. Uh, if I was in Germany, I would have demanded a refund. The moment <laughs> that fair. you strut... The moment that you strut... Speaking of anemic offenses, right... The Patriots, this is another team where everyone's like, well, they don't have an, a wide receiver one, and they don't have, like, top-tier weapons. 
But again, this is another team that's got like Hunter Henry and Mike Gesicki have both been really solid receiving tight ends. Kendrick Bourne had a very good career before he got there. Um, who else? Um, Juju Smith-Schuster, who I know has been dealing with injuries for a majority of the season. But like you have guys on this team, Devontae Parker. And even if like, they didn't have guys necessarily, they they put assets into this receiving room. They put a lot of assets. I would say so. Like, I mean, you, you Ty, have some Tyquan Thornton. Tyquan Thornton yeah. was a second round pick. Devontae Parker. What did they give up for him? I I want to say it was a second rounder. Was it a fourth? I feel like no, it, was it was a second. It it was a fifth when the Dolphins were getting rid of him. I thought that they had to give up a lot for him because it was a division rival. I would have swore it was like a second or a third. I can, I can look at the details of the trade while we're... Yeah, but I I just remember they gave up more than they should have. They they have put a lot of assets into this receiving room, into this offense, yet it still is putting up six points against a Colts defense that is probably average, right? Like, there's no reason that the Okay, it was... So here's the details. It was a 2022 fifth-round pick and Devontae Parker... For a 2023 third round pick, that's what it was. So, there so yeah, you go. they okay. did give up. Yeah. yeah, but still, point is they gave they gave away a third rounder in order to get Devonte Parker, and he's done nothing. They used a second rounder on Tyquan Thornton. He's done nothing. Juju, they paid him the same amount that they would have paid Jacoby Myers. He's done nothing. I mean, it, it's been awful. It has been awful, and all the discussion about Belichick the coach versus Belichick the team builder. Well, it seems like there's not much of a difference between the two right now because, let's be honest, Belichick has had a bad season as a coach this year. And, yeah, the defense has been great. And that's something I really want to just say because I know Patriots fans have been getting a lot of hate, a lot of pessimism, but I'll give them the little bit of optimism that they deserve. The offense had a really good game. Or, sorry, the defense had a very, very good game. I was going to say, I don't yeah. recall the offense. Yeah, the defense <laughs> had a really, really good game. Yeah. You got to keep in mind, the Patriots held a Colts offense that hasn't scored below 20 points in a single game all year to 10. I mean, this has been a really consistent offense, yet the Patriots just held them to half of what they normally get. Well, and you also have to consider that they did that without the complimentary football of their offense having sustained exactly. drives and exactly. points on the board. So, it, it's, yeah, it, even more impressive and, when you're doing it on the field for more than 60% of the game. And even after Mac Jones threw what I genuinely think was, if you put into consideration situation and context, the worst pick I've ever seen in my life. Wow. Because, I mean, let's think about it like this. They were getting so much momentum. They were driving to win the game. And then Mac Jones threw that. I mean, that that was an awful pick. And he deserved to get benched after it. But, and here I am giving them more pessimism. But back to the optimism of their defense being good. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Patriots still went out there, and I want to say there was three minutes and 30 seconds, or maybe there was four minutes on the clock, and the Patriots went out there, and they clamped up that Colts offense and allowed the Patriots and Bailey Zappi 
to get another opportunity to drive the ball down the field with two minutes left. And no one's talking about it because, well, the Patriots didn't take advantage. But still, oh, yeah. the point is they had spike. that opportunity. Oh, yeah, that was that was awful. That was awful. But the Patriots' defense can keep them in any game. It's just the offense is so pitifully bad that no one really cares. <laughs> right? I mean, I mean, yeah. it, it was an awful game by the Patriots. It was. it was, and the Colts didn't play too great either. Like I said, they only scored ten points, but that that Patriots offense, man, it, it's a it's a bad unit. It should be a crime to be that bad, seriously. And, and we were talking about how bad the Panthers' offense was. I think the Patriots would give them a run for their money in the in the toilet bowl that is worst offenses in the NFL. But we we should move on because this is making me sad. Yeah. Well, now. <laughs> Let's move over to a game. I thought, now again, these are two kind of sloppy football teams, but I thought it was a fun one. Packers at Steelers. So I, th- is, I thought it was a fun one. Yeah. I mean, it it was a sloppy, dirty football game, yeah. but that's also the type of football these two teams have been playing all year. And that's why I was, I was excited say, going into it. Yeah, I mean, this is the prototypical Steelers victory, right? Like, you know, you come out. And the defense is playing aggressive football. They look pretty good, but then you give up some cheap touchdowns here or there. Um, the offense like somehow mustered up a running game with one of the worst offensive lines in football and a duo of running backs that, like, no offense to Jalen Warren and Najee Harris, but really have not lived up to the expectations. Um, and the fact that they went out there and ran the ball pretty successfully, that they, you know, Kenny Pickett didn't look particularly bad. He had some good off-schedule playmaking and the defense came up big when they needed to, particularly at the end of the game. Um, I mean, that's that's a Steelers win in a nutshell. It's never going to be pretty, but they're going to get the job done at the end of the day. Yeah, and I found this one interesting because this is the first time that the Steelers played against a team that pretty much has been doing the same thing. Maybe they haven't had the same success doing it, but much like the Steelers, the Packers have been kind of sleeping until the second half, and then they'll just turn it up. And... Sometimes they'd win because of it. Sometimes they just make it look a lot closer on the box score. But this was surprising to me because both of these teams, despite doing exactly what I said, being these second-half breakout, oh, we won't really play the first-half teams, both of these teams only scored six points each in the second half. And it was the first half where these teams weren't necessarily lighting up the scoreboard, but that's where they were getting their headway offensively. Well, and Jordan Love, man, Jordan Love had some good passes throughout early, this entire early. game. But particularly, yeah, I mean, early in the game. But, um, like, finding Jaden Reed in the end zone, I believe it was Jaden Reed, this number 11, right? Um, that was an absolute dime. He had a few good passes downfield. He had one where he found Dontavion Wicks, too, I believe. But, like, Jordan Love really does possess some talent, man. And we're seeing it week in and week out. It's just... I don't know if it's the lack of receiving talent. I don't know if Matt LaFleur is kind of a fraud and just was the beneficiary of having Aaron Rodgers, but I see the talent in Jordan Love. Well, the talent is absolutely there. We knew it was there, yeah. but keep in mind, it's like it's hard to not treat it like his rookie year, but Jordan Love is in year four, five, four right now. Yeah, he's in year yeah. four. 
there is no reason for him to be making some of the mistakes that he has made throughout the season. And yeah, he doesn't have a great cast around him, but as much as he has these highlight throws, and he absolutely does, he also has some really low lows. He does. And well, it's yeah, shown in this you game. Know, you know who picks. said that about, though? You know who he said that about, too? Josh Allen. You okay. know, I'm not comparing him to Josh Allen, but that's the upside's there. I don't think he is Josh the Allen. Upside the upside is absolutely out. there. Yes. Um, but I do think that he could be kind of what we thought Sam Darnold was going to be mm-hmm. if he could get put into the right place and, and have the right pieces around him. But I'm not ready to sell the Jordan Love stock, particularly after this game either. Well, I'm not necessarily selling the stock. I think Jordan Love can be good. He definitely can. He has a lot of physical ability. But some of these mistakes he makes are bad. As Really, what I'm trying to say is as high as the highs are, the lows are just as low. And that's part of the reason that the team isn't overly successful. I do agree LaFleur has looked decently fraudulent throughout the season. And, you know, that defense really hasn't played too well. I have no idea how the hell the Packers allowed the Steelers to be so dominant on the ground. Like you said, Najee Harris averaging 5.2 yards per carry on 16 carries. It's mind-boggling to me. Jalen Warren averaging 6.7 on 15 carries. I mean, yikes. I really don't understand how the Packers allowed that to happen. But... Was it was it Matt Canada? I'll I'll never know. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe Matt Canada. Now that he's on the sideline, it's a completely different story with him. Maybe, but it's not it's not looking too great for Green Bay. This was a game I expected them to win. Although I'm not overly surprised that the Packers lost, but I I did think they would have an opportunity to win this one, and it was a very close game, but they just didn't get it done. Right. And let's, I want to save the big guns for the game after this. But first, I just want to talk about the fact that the 49ers are back. And it's showing I'm not. I'm not prepared to say that they're back. I think that this was just a game. Look, the 49ers in many ways have proven to be unserious. I I I would prefer to say that they just had a, Stretch of games where they kind of just fell apart. But now they had the bye week to collect themselves, get it back on track, and they did it. That's what I think. But what exactly makes you think, after watching this game, that this is just a flash in the pan? Well, look, the Jags are about as volatile as any team in the NFL right now, right? So just as equally good as they could play, they could play equally as bad on any given Sunday. And while the Niners, you know, they went out and made some good acquisitions at the trade deadline, I really do like the fact that they got Chase Young. Nick Bosa's having a down year, and the defense does not look the same with Steve Wilkes in there. I understand they balled out this past weekend, but the departure of D'Amico Ryans is certainly a factor this year. And plus, Jimmy Ward not being on that secondary, like, not as good on the back end as they were the previous year either. Um, So that's the first concern I have. And on the offensive side of the ball, I still think that there's a multitude of questions surrounding Brock Purdy. Um, the Jags' defense isn't particularly that talented. I know that they have, like, Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen. Um, you know, a handful of other good pieces as well. I mean, Andre Sisco is a pretty solid safety. And uh, you can't forget Foyer, Oluwokan, and linebacker. But this is by no means an all-world defense. Um, I don't know. 
there's just something about this team that doesn't sit well with me. They, they, they replaced four starting offensive linemen this offseason. Trent Williams is the only one staying around. He's been battling injuries this year. C-Mac, has he ever played a full season? No. So at what point is that one going to fall off the rails? Debo out of the lineup. There's a significant difference between the way Ayuk plays with Debo in the lineup and Debo out of the lineup. So that's a concern there. I don't know. There's just a lot of things about this team that don't sit well with me in terms of making a push deep into the playoffs. But I still think that they're a very talented team. I don't want to take anything away from Kyle Shanahan and all that. But I'm not prepared to say that they're back as much as they're just they're the Niners right now. Well, did you feel the same way before the three-game losing streak or no? Yes. You know, going into the season, I was really concerned about this quarterback trio. So I had them going 10-7 and seven this season. I'll be honest. Like, what I thought was they were going to have a bumpy road in the season because Brock Purdy, I didn't know if he was going to be fully healthy by the time he got back. Would Sam Darnold have to play? Well, it eventually became that Sam Darnold almost had to play because of concussion protocol for Brock Purdy. Um, so that was a concern of mine. The departure of D'Amico Ryans was a concern. I saw a lot of this coming going forward, and I don't think that they're necessarily like going to finish out the season undefeated 49ers. I think that they're still going to have some bumps in the road. Well, they definitely are, and I think part of it is I agree the concerns with Brock Purdy. I do. This is someone who, for the most part, plays a good game just distributing the ball. But every game, it's, it feels like there's two or three mistakes he makes that if the opposing team takes advantage of him, they likely win. And that's going to hurt him in the playoffs. That's going to hurt the team in the playoffs. And you're right, the defense isn't as good as it was with D'Amico Ryans. It still is a really good defensive unit. But it yeah. isn't as good as it was with D'Amico Ryans. And because of that, they can't take advantage of teams abusing the mistakes that Purdy makes they can't make up for Purdy's mistakes on the offensive side of the ball I guess is a better way to phrase it yeah and I agree with all that but the amount of talent they have offensively even with the O-line not having all the same guys as it did last year it hasn't been bad for them their O-line hasn't been a weakness and when you have that much sheer offensive talent at the skills positions, it is really, really hard to succeed against you. And it's not like this is some bad defensive unit. It's a good defensive unit. It's just not. No, and it's really talented, too. I mean, they're the best linebacker in the entire sport by leaps and bounds. Yeah, and then Greenlaw is also a different animal. That entire defensive front is unreal. Yeah, I mean, the front seven is top five in the league, maybe not even five or four. Yeah, I mean, it is ridiculous. Right, So it makes it really hard for teams to run on them. You pretty much have to pass. And if you're going to pass, you got to get the ball out quick because Chase Young and Nick Bosa are coming right at you. Right, I yeah. think it's a team that you have to attack in a very specific way. And because of that, it's really difficult to take down. I could get behind that. But Jacksonville, I mean, they, they just had a bad game man and you said it yourselves they are they're a team that one week is going to play really good football the next they're going to fall apart and this was one of the weeks where they just fell apart trevor lawrence you know he's had a good season but he still puts the ball in harm's way a lot and it bites them in the butt a lot 
when ETN can't get going on the ground, it's a very different football team, and it's a football team that really struggles to win against other legitimate teams. Well, don't be surprised if they come out next week against the Titans, right, and drop 50 points. Well, yeah, but that's just the team they are. That is just the team they are. It's just the team they are, exactly. But, um, yeah, I don't really have much more to say about that, though. I mean, like, the Jags are the Jags. Uh, They're going to make the playoffs. They'll probably win. I cursed again. The crappy AFC South. Um, yeah, they'll probably win that division by a very small margin, even though I love C.J. Stroud, which we'll get to in a second. Um, but they'll probably win the division. They'll probably be like the fourth seed going into the playoffs, maybe win a wild card game, and then that's it. Like, season's over. So, I'm glad that you mentioned C.J. Stroud, because now that we're 30 minutes in, now it's time to talk about the big game. The one everyone's here to hear us talk about. There were a lot of games that went down to the last minute this week but this was probably the most exciting one and this was probably the best game all season honestly i mean this was a dude it was this was a fun one it was absolutely it, a fun one i mean it was a shootout in every sense of the word man and i still got to give burrow his props real quick because he made some throws in that game on the move that one to jamar dude i mean he was throwing dimes all over the field but he he kind of did get outplayed by cj stroud who threw a costly pick at the end of the game nearly lost in the game and should Tyler Boyd have caught that touchdown pass at the end, probably. Um, and then they wouldn't have had to settle for a field goal, and they'd probably win this football game. Okay, but um, here, here's the problem with hypotheticals. If C.J. Stroud didn't throw that pick to Cam Taylor Britt, it's a completely different game. So I don't want to hear about the yeah. hypotheticals, right? I, yeah, this game yeah, could totally. be really different, and every single game in the NFL would be really different if you just changed a thing or two. I, I mean, that's, that's an argument I, I don't like hearing. Yeah, well, it's not necessarily that because I do think that the Bengals got outplayed. Um, but it's one of those games that I'm more surprised that the Texans made it as close as they did uh, versus how bad the Bengals played because I don't think the Bengals played a bad football game at all. I think that there were plenty of times in that game where the offense demonstrated that they could play you know, elite-level football. The defense came up pretty big in some moments and kept this team actually in the game. Uh, particularly in the fourth quarter. And the Bengals' defense, I wouldn't say, is necessarily a top defense in the NFL. But in situational football, they somehow show up every single time. I mean, we see it in the playoffs against the Chiefs and stuff like that. But I don't think this was as much of a loss for the Bengals as it was a whole lot of hope for Texans fans yes. and the future of that program. Yes. The Bengals did not play bad in this one. And I want to talk a little bit about why the Bengals' defense is a good unit. Because I feel like when I talk about that, only then can I explain why what C.J. Stroud did is even better than some of the analysts who are talking, raving about this kid. It was an even better performance than some of them may think. And it's because of how this Bengals defense functions. It's because of how unique the Bengals defense is. They don't just do one thing. They'll throw cover three at you one one play, and then the next they'll be running cover two man, and then the next they'll be running some weird hybrid between the two. Like, this is not a team that only does one specific thing, and that's something yeah. people need to understand. A lot of defense in, the, in this league have one specific type of coverage, and they'll run different variations of it, but they'll stick with a lot of coverages that are in that umbrella category so if i'm a team that likes to run soft coverages i'm gonna run soft coverages 
a lot. I'm going to run Tampa 2. I'm going to run Tampa 2 where the safety's coming down into the flats and then a linebacker is, you know, going into a hook zone and the cornerback is going into the uh, deep half, right? Yeah. There's different variations that they're going to run, but they're mainly just going to run cover 2 and cover 3 if they only like soft coverages. If I'm a team that wants to get in the opposing offense's face, I'm going to run a lot of man coverage and blitz a lot. Now, how are we going to play that man coverage? It differentiates between the coaches. But the point is, defenses will stick to what they like to do, what they consider their expertise. They're just going to run a lot of different variations of that. Lou Anarumo's Bengals defense isn't like that. They'll run a soft coverage one play, and then the next play they'll run a really tight man coverage. I, I mean, they switch it up a lot. They'll show you a lot of different pre-snap looks and then run something completely different than what a quarterback expected. Now, it's hard enough for a veteran quarterback to go against a defense that's that decisive, that is that unpredictable, let alone when a rookie quarterback goes against it. Now, a rookie quarterback succeeding against it? That is unheard of. Lou Anarumo threw everything at CJ Stroud in this game. Blitzes. Well, I think you might be you might be doing a little bit of a disservice just saying succeeded. He thrived. Yeah, he thrived. He, Thank you. He balled he, out. He, he balled out. out against a defense that is extremely difficult to ball out against as a young quarterback. Lou Anarumo threw everything at the kid. Blitzes. He dropped eight sometimes. I mean, if I was a quarterback, I'd be getting whiplash because if I'm getting seven guys rushing one play and then the next yeah. only three guys are rushing, I would have whiplash. I would because it's just so different in terms of how you have to go about dissecting that, and that's what it is. CJ Stroud doesn't just play against these opposing defenses. He doesn't just make throws against them. He dissects them. Absolute pinpoint precision. Throw after throw after throw. Stroud had an amazing performance. I'm not the only person to say it. Everyone and their mom knows it. CJ Stroud has been balling out all year, and this is just another feather in his cap where he just killed it. And this is such a big win because it's not just a last-minute victory against the Buccaneers. No, this is against Super Bowl contender Cincinnati Bengals, where Joe Burrow was playing a good game, but he, as a rookie, outdueled him. You gotta love it. Yeah, you really do. The Texans should be ecstatic right now. They got a, they got a bright future ahead of them with him. And then the Bengals, really quickly, I just want to touch on this. They, although they had a good game, they definitely didn't play poorly. Their O-line, man, that is a legitimate concern for me. You know, it's funny. I was just watching Sheldon Rankin's tape from that game. And, I mean, look, their O-line's a concern every year. I think the important thing for them, though, scheme-wise, this offensive line is sorting through the twists. Like, they have such a difficult time whenever there's movement up front between, like, like an end tackle twist or, you know, a nose wrapping around um, and going underneath both of the guys that crash. Like, they just somehow are never able to navigate that and then get favorable matchups in those twists. I just think they need better offensive line coaching because I do think that the talent's there. Alex Cap is really solid. Um, what's it called? Oh my God, he's a young guy. 
Uh, Akeem Adeniji, I actually think that he's a good football player. Um, but I, I don't think it's much of a talent issue as it is a, a coaching issue or maybe an offensive coordinator. Well, that thing. explains, and I've been, I am the number one Brian Callahan hater. So I hope it's an offensive coordinator issue because I have yeah. I have been saying he needs to be gone for a while. He is lucky that he has Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins to just bail him out. Because the reality is this is an offense that isn't overly diverse. It's the opposite of the Bengals' defense. It's just getting bailed out by talent. They don't have a great scheme. They don't coach up the O-line overly well, as you pointed to right there. And it was a lot of twist that... D'Amico Ryan's called, and, well, Sheldon Rankins looked like Aaron Donald for the day. Let's just say that. I mean, he was wreaking havoc, wreaking havoc. And it it really juxtaposed what was happening for the Texans because their O-line, despite being so banged up, did an amazing job picking up everything Anaruma threw at him. So it, it was just very... It was two teams that were succeeding offensively, but they were doing it in different ways. And one team clearly looked, I don't want to say clearly, but definitely looked more well-rounded and seemed to be less dependent on, oh, we have Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. One team was just more ready, more prepared, more well-coached, and that's the team that won. Exactly. Now... Me and you are going to go on a quick break because the Monday night game is going to start up. After that ends, I'll give all of you the analysis on our next game. will be the another really good game, Browns at Ravens. Oh, thank God. I, I've been dying to talk about that game. I have been too. But for now, we're going to have to hold it up to watch a Bills-Broncos game that I like to imagine should be an exciting one now. Uh, I, honestly, I think it's going to be a lot better than people expect. I think the Broncos will come out and give the Bills a hard time. I really do, too. But you all know how that game ended. We're just about to find out, and we'll see you all after that. <laughs> and we are back. Uh, for you guys, it was just a matter of seconds. For me and Dom, it was a couple hours. We watched the entire Bills game. Uh Definitely an interesting one. Of to course, say the least. Of course, in week <laughs> ten fashion, it just had to be yet another buzzer beater, right? Just had to go to the last second. Well, I'll tell you for everyone that was listening before the break and then us coming out of the break, you know, I was saying like this is either gonna be such a boring game or it's actually gonna be something very enticing. And I don't think that there was anything in between. And boy did we get an actual good game and honestly we could credit the bills with most of this because i don't think the broncos played all that well i think the bills just with the turnovers and some falling asleep at the wheel type plays just made this one an actual game well when you say falling asleep at the wheel that makes you think that they had control of the game at any point the reality is the bills only had a lead for about a minute of the entire game yeah like the Broncos steadily controlled the game for the majority of it. And that was because, well, the Bills just turned the ball over time after time after time. When James Cook fumbled on that, on his first touch of the game, like, 
an amalgamation of things. Josh Allen interceptions at dumb moments, like to end the the first half. Josh Allen forgetting like, how to hand a football off. Yeah, like just an amalgamation of. And here's the thing. I used to be the biggest advocate for Josh Allen, especially when people were hating on him like the first two or three years of his career. And he got all that slack, right? And I was like, no, this guy's really got a lot of potential. But now slowly, because everyone is on that Josh Allen hype train, I've become a hater. Like we were just talking before we hopped on this. I predicted the Bills to go 7-10 and 10 because of Josh Allen's poor habits and sloppy football. And I thought with Dable's departure, every year it was going to get a little bit worse. And now we're just seeing that come well, into fruition now. I don't blame Allen, really. The reality is that this offense is far too dependent on him. They don't have a legitimate running game, and I know James Cook is going to I, I go mean, for James it. Cook was like 12 carries what? for over 100 yards. Yeah, but it was a lot of it chunk plays. The, the, when the Bills yeah. try and do consistent runs and teams start to actually worry about it, teams will start to stack the box. They can't, they can't run the ball then. They can't. They'll have big chunk plays against light boxes, but they can't even consistently get four four yards running the ball against light boxes. Well, now they might average so, they might average yeah. four yards per carry against light boxes, but that's because of the chunk plays. Well, I would say that's more play calling than anything else, right? Well, so I, I the offensive line has really improved this year. Osiris Torrance was a great acquisition in the draft for them, and he's been playing like it at that starting right guard spot. And they've it's actually been running the ball significantly better. I think it's a better yeah, pass blocking true. line than it is a run blocking line. That's how I look oh, at totally. it. Oh, totally. I agree with that. I, I totally agree with that, but – the running game this year compared to years past is definitely a step in the right direction. I just think that they're running the most basic concepts and putting no window dressing on it. Um, and so, like, you know, Kyle Shanahan runs inside zone just like everyone else, but it's just how he draws up the play, how, how the blocking schemes pan out. Yeah. Um, they're just very vanilla with their run game in, in Buffalo. And I guess that's part of it. I don't – now, yeah, you're right. The run blocking scheme isn't overly elaborate. It's not. With that said, though, I also think it's a personnel issue. They're a team that's just far too reliant offensively on Josh Allen. And him needing to do everything leads to him needing to make some of the stupid decisions that he makes. It's almost Carson Wentz-esque, I guess you could say. Very similar. Yes, absolutely. Now, here's something that I feel like is getting overshadowed from this game. A lot of the decisions to go for it on fourth down... On both sides, I really don't get it. Now, I know it worked for the Broncos when they did it. The first touchdown that was scored was on a fourth down. Beautiful catch by Cortland Sutton. Yeah. But it your defense was doing a good job stopping this Bills offense that really hasn't been that good this year. Why do you choose to go for it on fourth down there? Now, I know you're deep in your own red zone or deep in the other red zone. So you want to take advantage of the opportunity, but why don't you just kick the field goal? Why do you feel a need to go for it on that fourth down? Now, it worked, but I don't think it was the right decision. Well, yeah, I guess hindsight's twenty twenty, right? So when you look at it, I don't know. I'm, I'm really all for going it on fourth down, so you're really not going to get anything mm. from me. Unless it's like a game-winning field goal, obviously. Then that's a little bit different. Yeah, okay. Like, so I was gonna I'm, go a, I'm a big proprietor of it. 
I was going to go on another rant because I thought the Bills doing it was also stupid, and it hurt them. It didn't benefit them. The yeah, same way it did Denver. It was a ta- it was a tale of or uh, yeah, a tale of two tales or something like that. I, I don't know how the saying goes, <laughs> but or a tale of two cities or something. Like that. Ta- tale of two teams. Tale of two teams, right? It's it, the one that's successful going for it on fourth down, and the one that's not. Yeah, and um, you know what? That probably was the difference. That definitely was. It, yeah, it had to be. Mm-hmm. Although the Bills' defense did stay strong, I do want to say this, and it's something I didn't expect to be saying, but Russell Wilson was the better quarterback tonight. Oh, 100%. That's that's not crazy at all. Yeah, but I, I don't think anyone would have expected Russell Wilson to outplay Josh Allen on primetime football, but I'm, here like, he is. I'm not surprised, because just as good as Josh Allen can play, he can play just as bad. Yeah. So there are days where he's looking like, you know – he could play better than Patrick Mahomes on some days, but I, I would not be surprised if you said he got outplayed by Zach Wilson either. <laughs> like, and, and that's dead serious. Yeah, the, um, the Bills' inability to maintain possession of the ball was really what this game came down to. You turn the ball over that much, you're not going to win. Simple as that. True. And that includes the turnovers on down. That absolutely does. Now... Yeah. I feel like this was definitely one of Sean McDermott's worst games as a head coach. Uh, I mean, the 12 men on the field at the end was just unacceptable. Yeah, that. As a head coach. Mm-hmm. That, like I said, the fourth down decisions I, I don't agree with. It, it was not a good display by him. It was not. Now, some people might be starting to say, oh, was that seat getting a little bit warm? I don't know about that, but... This definitely doesn't help his case in terms of job security. Yeah. Meanwhile, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they fired him. Yeah. I I, eh, I don't know. I, I think he's been too successful up to this point. Yeah. Well, they're a consistent playoff team. I, I don't know if you could say that. I, I really don't. Now, maybe you could say he enters next season on a hot seat. Sure. But... Listen, I think just because it's a team that's been consistently making the playoffs, you bring in a new head coach, you're pretty much committing to like a year of uncertainty. And I, mean, I don't know if the Bills want to do that at this point. Doug Peterson was consistently making the playoffs for the Eagles. I mean, Doug Peterson won us the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, mean, I, I guess that's them. true. I, so, I guess that is true. It, it's never out of the realm of po- – it's more so can you convince the owner that the direction the team is heading in. Because, look, I've seen a lot of bad coaches keep their job for a while mm-hmm. because they could sweet-talk the owner into this new future of the team. And and McDermott um, just got extended too. Yeah, he did. So I, I don't know. I don't, th- I don't see it happening. That being said, you want to talk about the other head coach. He really – now, he already had a secure job just because of how much they had to give up in order to get him. But at least now at least now, there's not as much of a media discussion about, oh, Sean Payton, that was an awful move by the Broncos because they beat the Chiefs and the Bills in the past three weeks. So, you know, that's... Yeah, it really is. It's, it's a statement from Sean Payton because he came out and the team looked probably... Worse than they did last year, which I didn't think was actually possible. <laughs> and, then, and and now Russell Wilson's actually looking like a competent quarterback again. Um, 
and a little bit of the Russell Wilson that we've seen in the past. I mean, he's definitely not playing up to the caliber he was when he was on the Seahawks, but mm-hmm. little by little, he's starting to find his confidence, and you can see that on the field. So, yeah. Now, I want to go back to talking about the games from Sunday. Yeah, let's get, it. let's get into we, it. We ended it on a very, very interesting game. Browns-Ravens. The Browns took the victory on this one. Really close game. Really interesting game between two division rivals. Of course, the AFC North is always bloodshed. Everyone is cannibalizing everyone. And this game was no exception. In fact, it was just another display of exactly that. What was your big takeaway? What are your thoughts from this game? Well, I watched every snap of this game because I live with a Browns fan and I had Browns money line (laughs) in this particular contest. Um, And I also picked the Browns as my second upset of the week. I had two upsets of the week this week. They were one of them. Um, And I was really plugging for them because I think the Browns are a lot more well-rounded than people think. I understand that Nick Chubb not being in the lineup throws a wrench into everything. Um, because he's their best offensive player, and I think it's by a long shot. But when you have, in my opinion, the, de- the best defensive player in football, a really esteemed secondary with a lot of depth oh, yeah. and a lot of guys that are playmakers, I mean, young linebackers that fly all over the field, like a great defense, and an offense that really, like, when they need to put up points, like, they could do it. Mm. I just thought that for the Ravens it would be a difficult time because – so Lamar Jackson's record against NFC teams is like 17 and 1. Against the AFC, he's like barely around 500. And against the AFC North, it's actually a little bit lower than that. So I I knew that this was going to be a tough game for the Ravens. Um and then my prediction kind of came into fruition after that. Well, I I do think there is a lot of truth to what you said. The Browns offense is bad until it needs to step up. Exactly. And this game was a display of that, right? At one point, Deshaun Watson looked unstartable, being 2-for-11 at a point. And I know the Ravens' defense is good, but come on. You you are getting paid too much to be 2-for-11 against any defense. I don't care if it's the 85 Bears. You, you can't have that happen. But eventually, yeah. he started to show... A little bit of the Deshaun Watson that they wanted when they did that trade. He started making plays, and that's why the Browns were able to keep up. Jerome Ford isn't quite Nick Chubb, but he can definitely do damage on the ground. The offensive line is a really good unit. Amari Cooper is doing a lot of damage, despite no one really wanting to talk about him. Mm-hmm. And then the Joku that... was the star of the game. Oh yes, absolutely. The Joku made so many plays that game. There, that one where he carried, um, I believe it was Geno Stone, just like 15, 17 yards down the field, mm-hmm. and refused to go down on the first, second, third, Ridiculous. fourth, fifth tackler. You name it. Like I mean, the, the, those are the kind of plays that change games. That's when I realized all the Browns had all the momentum. Mm-hmm. Was when the Joku pulled that off. Well, and you want to talk about momentum. There's no better way to get momentum than forcing turnovers. And say what you want about the Ravens' defense being the best in the league because th- this was a very legitimate debate going into this game. And I think this game showed the answer. Browns' defense or Ravens' defense? Who is the best defense in the NFL? 
And yeah, the Ravens defense is prevent is very good at preventing the other team from scoring, which is obviously the goal of a defense. But the Browns defense doesn't just prevent the other team from scoring, they create opportunities for their offense. And the Ravens do that a little bit too, but not to the extent that the Browns are. Because the Browns, they're picking balls off. They're forcing fumbles. They're doing all this stuff. And I mean, that, the Browns defense, that's the difference. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't say it's just the turnovers either. I think that they don't have the, the benefit of the complimentary football that the Ravens defense does. That too. When you, when you have an offense that's running the ball at an efficiency that's significantly higher than every team in the NFL um, that's incredibly efficient in the passing game as well like you, like and, and they really do minimize turnovers on offense they're a, a very complimentary unit to this defense and then the defense is get just got to go out and do their thing like once you get up 14 points like it's you know the game's in their hands right they could just pin their ears back and pass rush and the DBs can kind of play on their heels a little bit um yeah, it's just they've been in a lot of favorable situations, and I didn't know what they were going to look like when crap hit the fan. I won't curse again. <laughs> um, but, you know, like I'm more interested in how teams play when everything isn't perfect, and that's why I've been skeptical about the Ravens, and that's why they inevitably lost this game because things weren't perfect, and then they just couldn't – they didn't have an answer for it. We saw it against the Colts earlier this year, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, that that's true too. But the Colts also gave the Browns problems. So oh, the Colts the Colts have been giving everybody problems, except the Patriots for whatever reason. The Patriots well, were giving them be... the Patriots were giving themselves problems. We we talked yeah. about that. I, I think yeah, we're both we already on the same page. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, no, this was a really interesting battle that's gonna have huge implications come playoffs. Huge mm-hmm. implications. I mean, this game very likely decided some sort of seeding. Just because AFC North, you know it's going to be really tight. You know these teams are going to be pretty much the same record. And, yeah, the Ravens, I think a lot of people would consider the better team. The Browns, well, they just came to play. They, like you said, gained the momentum when they needed it. That's why they won. They're going to continue to be a pesky team to play against. And even if you're a top-tier team like the Ravens, like the Chiefs, you're going to be like, oh, shoot. The Browns are going to give us problems. They they really are one of those teams that can Browns are going to give everyone problems for the rest yes, of the year. Absolutely. And, yeah. Now, um, I want to yeah. talk about the big fan favorite quarterback that – has been a storyline all season. Please, but... Josh Dobbs. Please be Josh Dobbs. Oh, of course it's Josh Dobbs. Okay, He's good, been good, a storyline all season, but now, I mean, it's getting to a whole new level. I mean, it, it takes a lot to uh, dethrone Taylor Swift as the banner for the NFL social media pages. So I mean, the dude, the dude can play football. We knew this last year when he came in for the Titans. Like, I don't know why people are acting like they're surprised. I was surprised when the Browns got rid of him because he was on the Browns mm-hmm. going into the NFL season. And I was like, this Josh Dobbs guy is going to get a job somewhere. 
And then, lo and behold, he goes to the Cardinals. He's a starter. I'm like, look, he's like they're not going to win a lot of football games with Josh Dobbs at the helm because they just don't have enough talent to put around him. But Josh Dobbs is going to go out there and play service of football. And then what does he do? He, he goes out and beats the Cowboys. Right, and then now he's two and zero with the Vikings in two weeks after just getting traded there without I mean, Jefferson, without Justin Jefferson, which is crazy to me. It um, really is a testament yeah. to how good Kevin O'Connell is. It is. I think Kevin O'Connell's a good coach. With all yes, with all the adversity that they've had to deal with this season, starting off, I believe zero and three, maybe even. Yeah, 0 and 3, right? It was 0 and 3, yeah. I was going to say maybe even 0 and 4, but I'm pretty sure they won that fourth game. Starting the season 0 and 3, losing Jefferson, losing Kirk Cousins, having a defense that doesn't really have much talent, let's just be honest. Being able to succeed and thrive through that adversity with an undrafted or former undrafted quarterback who you had to acquire by giving up a sixth-round pick. I, it was I mean, probably it worth, says it was a lot. probably worth every penny. It absolutely so, was. Yeah. But the point is, this is not an ideal situation for anyone. Yet the Vikings are still finding a way to succeed continuously. Make Joshua Dobbs look like he was worth a third-rounder, possibly even a second. I mean, it's remarkable. And even well, the defense and, and is playing some well. Credit to, I was going to say, you got to give some credit to Brian Flores and what yes. he's done with that defense, man. Because this is a group, as you said, doesn't have a lot of talent. But they play well to their strengths. And he's very aggressive. He blitzes more than any defensive coordinator oh, in the yeah. NFL by like oh, a yeah. large margin. And doing that despite not having a lot of talent is exactly why you got to give him credit for how ballsy he is. You really exactly. do. I mean, it says a lot in how, in terms of how confident a coach is in their scheme, in their ability, when they just keep running what they want, whenever they want, no matter who's starting, no matter who's injured, no matter who they signed, didn't sign. I mean, just the ability to run your defense whenever you want and always run that defense, and then it works – it says so much about Brian Flores and who he is as a coach. Yeah. I it, totally agree. It was a great game. And then, you know, there was another fan favorite quarterback that was in this game. Jameis Winston, baby. Famous Jameis. Yeah, and he was... He, he played not, well. He did not miss a beat from 2020. Huh. I or, mean, look. He's the only player in NFL actually. history that I've watched who has the ability to keep both teams in the game simultaneously. <laughs> I guess there is truth to that, but I mean, some of the stuff he did, you don't, you don't see other quarterbacks even think about trying to do that. The throw to A.T. Perry, I mean, oh, yeah, only James Winston. Only James Winston. Only James Winston. Hey, and look, like that's why we love him, right? Like, yeah. That's, that's who he is. Exactly. That's why... He look. He's one of like seven or eight quarterbacks in NFL history to throw for over five thousand yards, and that was back when they still played sixteen games. So I mean, the guy, the talent at least is there. You know, I, I don't know if everything's all right upstairs, but um. <laughs> yeah, the talent, the talent is absolutely there. And I think he's at a point now where he he's just like, 
you know, I'm not going to get many more opportunities on the football field. So when I'm out there, I'm just going to go out and have fun. I mean, you could tell he's having fun. And it feels weird to say that about an NFL player, but it's very clear. He's just, eh, screw it. I'll throw it up. And if it's a touchdown, if it's, it's a touchdown. If it's a pick, it's a pick. Oh, well. We're, we're the Saints. Someone has to make us interesting. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I really do admire that because, you know, I, my little brother said something to me back when the Jags, back when Trevor Lawrence threw his four interceptions in the first half, right? Um, and then they came back and won the game. And then he said to me after the first half, because I, I bet a dollar to win 20 on Jack's money line. And it paid out because I wanted to make life interesting for myself. And he said, you know, if you're not prepared to go out there and throw four more, then you should quit football. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and I think that reigns true for a man like Jameis Winston. So well, that's I, his I motto. That's his motto. That's what he's here to do. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, again, the Saints are so irrelevant. It, it feels nice to at least have a reason to watch them. And I'm not saying irrelevant like they're bad. It's just they're so like... Oh, we're watching the Saints today. I can't wait to see the the beautiful 19 targets to Alvin Kamara within three yards of the line of scrimmage. <laughs> like, how, how many slip screens can we throw to yeah, Alvin ex- Kamara? Exactly, right? Yeah. It's a very uninteresting offense, so it's great to see someone at least try and make it interesting. So I'm not going to complain yeah. too much. Another quarterback returning after what feels like forever. Kyler Murray came back for the Cardinals and my second upset of the week to my surprise Kyler played very well I really thought because of how long he wasn't playing coming off an injury he's not exactly known to be a film junkie or a preparation savant so I I really thought he was going to come out and suck but I was wrong man he played really well opposite Mm. Well, I was, yeah. I, I think we we don't give Kyler Murray nearly enough credit for how good of a quarterback he is. You know, everybody wants to talk about the top 10, the top 16 quarterbacks in the NFL. And everyone's talking about uh, Derek Carr, like, being snubbed, or Dak Prescott, or, like, all these, like, mid-tier. Like, Kyler Murray can change a football game. And I don't think Absolutely. people respect that. Enough. Yeah, but there... You have to keep in mind, there is a reason that he is known to not be exactly praised in NFL circles. I mean, the off-the-field issues are a very legitimate thing. That being said, on the field, he's a magician. He is a magician. And there's no doubting that this game showed it. This game displayed it. I, I mean, what Kyler was able to do, play after play after play, with an offense, so let's be honest isn't that good it's remarkable and Trey McBride was really the only player that seemed even remotely competent so Kyler Murray just fed him oh the O-line isn't doing a great job blocking okay I'll make my own time runs around the pocket does a couple loop-de-loops eight seconds later he throws the ball to a wide open receiver I mean it was really impressive although I do have to say this too did Atlanta know they were playing against Kyler Murray? Because they, they just didn't prepare for the QB run at all. There was well, a... I, I think that that's got to be some kind of effect. Also, like, 
I don't think Atlanta's as good as we've been led on to believe, man. Okay, um, sure, that, sure. Yeah. But you have to admit, you you watch like Kyler Murray's rushing touchdown on the zone read. Oh, how of how yeah, the hell and, and, how the hell did they just leave that open of a lane for him? Well, so normally what they coach the guys to do at this level, right, is the defensive end just crashes and plays the dive, and the linebacker wraps around. But I guess that they just didn't have that contingency in the playbook. I guess they thought they were playing Clayton Tune. Yeah, uh, maybe. They might have thought that they were playing Tom Brady with the way that they were just treating him like he would be a statue in the pocket all game. I mean, that was insane to me, right? Yeah, I, I it really, really makes sense. It was a complete disaster class schematically for the Falcons defense, but Kyler had a very good game, and that's really the key headline there. There's not really much more to say. Yeah, I mean, Kyler was the storyline of this game, and he showed it. And uh, Bijan finally got involved. Oh, yeah, that, that too. That too. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I think Arthur Smith was inspired when he saw that an early round pick can actually be a contributor on your offense. So, he was like, okay, I guess I'll try maybe giving B. John Robinson the ball a little bit. Uh, I mean, hey. He, he's been really Arthur Smith. Like at first I was at first, all the hate he was getting, I was saying like, Oh, it's just fantasy people being fantasy people. But no, it's like, this is no, one you, of, you, you don't take a guy seventh overall and then not give him. The yeah. Ball. And then that Very and overall. Kyle Pitts, it, it, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make, make sense. Ma- or, or Drake London, like Drake London. Well, Drake London was also a top 10 pick. So yeah, that it's, was a was he the fifth overall pick or am I crazy? Uh or I think it was I like could, ninth. I could look this up. I I want to say he was, ninth. he was the first receiving. Yeah, receiver he was the first receiver, and then like Garrett Wilson went like two picks later. And then there was like a run of receivers. The eighth, eighth overall pick eighth. to the Falcons. Okay. Then it was Wilson, Alave, uh, all those guys. Yeah, but. But yeah, just no. don't like using instead, your high Instead, pick. they want to give the ball to Jonu Smith. And again, I thought that was just fantasy people being angry about it. But no, I understand it now. I I really do. B. John. I saw be the funniest. The I saw the funniest meme of the guy from. Oh my God! What the the SpongeBob guy where he's like, I I I put only put uh, one ice cube in your drink or whatever, and he's drinking the drink. Whatever, and it was um, Arthur Smith on Johnny Smith end arounds. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, you, you might have to put this on the screen on like a clip or something, but I thought it was so funny. I'll send it to you. You gotta now. Oh, uh, so funny. Yeah, there's a lot of like Arthur Smith hate memes. And they're, they're always hilarious. Always hilarious. But it still doesn't make sense how you just don't give the ball. Like, it's literally... It it is giving the ball to your talented players can literally just make up for poor coaching. It could just make you look better. Like that's all it would do for you. I don't understand why you wouldn't. It, except just stubbornness. That's the only reason I could think of. But anyway, let's just move on we to digress. Titans at Bucks. The Titans, man, right. they they uh, they looked interesting for a second there, but now they're back down to earth. That was a 
huge loss in a game that should have been really competitive, but it just wasn't. Why do you yeah, think that I, was? Yeah, I really had higher hopes for the Titans, man. Um, I don't. It was just such a weird game. I really didn't watch much of it because I was just so like, meh about it. I mean, I know the Titans' defense is pretty depleted at this point, and then getting rid of your best player, Kevin Fired, wasn't necessarily helpful either. Um, but I, I don't really have much to say about this game. I'll be honest with you. Well, I mean, you watch it, and it's just like. The Titans have been doing this all year, and I think I've complained about it every single week, but I will continue to until they stop. First down, you have Derrick Henry. Do you think they're going to line up under center, or are they going to line up in the shotgun and then try and hand it off to him like that? A running back that very clearly needs to get momentum to be used to his full capacity. No, we're going to run the shotgun and try and run him up the middle that way. Like, no, that's never going to work, ever. Yet, that's still what they're doing on first downs. Baffling. Makes no sense whatsoever. And that's why Derrick Henry can't get going, because they're using him completely wrong. And then they well, try and throw They're him. another team that, like, trying to watch them play offense is just, like... It's it almost gives me a misutilization of talent. It's a complete yeah. misutilization of talent. And then, you know, they'll try and throw the ball downfield, but their receivers aren't good. And their O-line isn't good either. So they're they're just in an awful spot, and then you watch the Bucks offense, and yeah, it's nothing. The Bucks offense isn't schemed up in some crazy way, but they have talent. Like Rashad White is a playmaker after the catch. Mike Evans is having one of the better years of his career. Baker Mayfield is a legitimate guy, and I know that. Chris Godwin hasn't put up ridiculous numbers this year, but he has been a very legit player for them. I mean, this is an offense that legitimately deserves way more respect, even though they're not exactly good at running the ball. They just carved up a Titans defense that, like you said, isn't too strong at the moment, but still. Mike Evans had an absolute masterclass, and I gotta say, this was another game that reminded me why I love Mike Evans. Because he had some plays, he had a drop touchdown where it was wide open. But then he'll come out the next drive and just make a ridiculous catch, getting them all the way on the goal line. Like, I mean, dude, we got to at some point talk about him in the Hall of Fame conversation, I feel like. And it, it sucks that he, like, I mean, he did get some coverage when Tom Brady was playing in Tampa Bay, but his career for a majority of it has just been wasted top five NFL wide receivers. I, I think the thing that out. hurts him, the thing that hurts him in that specific case is one getting in as a wide receiver is really tough. Like yeah. we know that, but then two, he has been really consistent, but he never had like an, ex, like an explosive year. He was never in the debate for like best receiver in football. Yeah. But he also had to play through the era of Julio Jones and well, AJ yeah. Brown yeah, exactly. like young in his career. And then, Justin Jefferson pops out on the scene. Like, I mean, he just never really had a break. Because um, Devontae Adams era, yeah. And that's true. But the thing is, again, NFL Hall of Fame wide receiver, you have to have, like, at least a year or two or three where you're the best. Like, it isn't easy to get into. It's not like quarterback where, like, oh, you don't have to be the best. As long as you played for a long time at a high level, like, you'll get in. It's not like that at receiver. 
keep in mind, guys like Andre Johnson aren't getting in. Steve Smith. Yeah, that's true. It, it be, the bar is really high for receivers to get in. And again, I love Mike Evans. He's one of my favorite players ever. But I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer. I, went, I would really like for him to be because I think he represents the game of football perfectly. But I, I don't know if he deserves to make it to the Hall of Fame. I really don't. Well, I, I doubt it, in fact. Yeah. And it sucks because I love him, but... Well, I mean, I guess we'll see how many of, more years he can yeah. put together. But I find it unlikely. Speaking of Hall of Fame games, um, can we just gloss over this Giants-Cowboys real quick? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, here's a Hall of Fame factoid. This is the most yardage that the Giants allowed in a football game since 1944. Well, yeah, that shouldn't make anybody feel better about themselves. Like, if you're if you're a Giants fan, what streak of optimism is there? Caleb Williams, or Drake May, or Michael Penix. <laughs> Okay, so maybe maybe Maserati Marv if you're feeling frisky, but <laughs> I'm I meant more of like this is a team that won a playoff game last year. And really all they good. did all they did was add stuff during the offseason. And maybe they weren't gonna make the playoffs again. But last season, like the big thing you would always say is they kept every game not every game, because that that last game in the playoffs was not they kept yeah was... they kept every game in the regular season even against tough opponents close they would play tough opponents close and this year they they play no They're one getting... close they get yeah. curbs stomped by every single little opponent so what streak of optimism is there for fans that expected them to be a good team this year i mean look I still think that there's a lot of hope. There's so much young talent on this team. I mean, you got two young pass rushers doing well. You got a left tackle who's ascending, only getting better. I mean, like, you have key pieces. I think the problem is they just don't have a wide receiver. And I was discussing this with somebody, actually, earlier in the week that was like, you know, the Giants finally get Caleb Williams, you know. And I'm like, well, Caleb Williams isn't going to mean anything if he's throwing to plumbers and firemen out there. But You need to get a competent wide receiver. last right? year they were able to succeed offensively. Without a receiver. So that's another thing where I'm just like, okay, yeah, it would help to have a genuine receiver. But it's a receiver's league, man. And they did go out and get Last year they were able to go ahead and do damage without receivers. So that's what I mean where I'm just like, I get it. It would be beneficial. But why are they worse? Because, uh, so uh, I mean, I can tell you from a schematics perspective whether whether worse. Go right they can't ahead. take the top off the defense. And, okay, when Daniel Jones was playing, one of his biggest assets is that he could run the football as well. Mm -hmm. So because of that, you can get favorable run numbers in the box because you could run a read option, maybe hold the defensive end every now and then. And people didn't really, like, we never saw that side of Daniel Jones. So Brian Dable kind of leaned into it with this more Josh Allen-style offense. Well, what teams are doing now is they're taking a safety and throwing them right in the box. They're putting an extra linebacker on the field. And so now they can't run the ball effectively. 
and they definitely can't pass the ball effectively in the first place. So now the run game doesn't open the passing game, and the pass game is a complement of the run game, and then you just stall out and go three and out every drive, and you have, what, six total touchdowns the whole season? Probably less than <laughs> that, that. That is a formula for in success. And then add a little yeah. bit of Tommy DeVito and Darren Waller injuries to that, and it only gets worse. Exactly. And then as for the Cowboys, uh, yeah, you played, Classless. You played Classless with your food. performance. Yeah, <laughs> you, you played with your food. Good for you. I mean, the Cowboys didn't uh, look like – the Cowboys just – they treated it like a dunk contest. You saw CeeDee Lamb getting a one-handed catch to start the game. It was just classless, dude. Like, the starters should have been out. Like, if I – the Eagles, when they play the Giants the last – two times in the last three weeks of the season. If Jalen Hurts plays in either of those games, and it is not Marcus Mariota or Tanner McGee, and if it is not Rashad Penny or Boston Scott running the football, if A.J. Brown touches the field, I will be very upset. Because what the Cowboys did was classless. I understand that you have to go out and respect your opponent, but you don't need to drop 49 points. Well, that's what the Cowboys have been. That is... Their attitude. That's why everyone hates them, right? Well, yeah, that's why everyone hates them. It's a shame that was America's Game of the Week this week. Well, whatever game has the Cowboys is America's Game of the Week. It's always been that way. Yeah. And this isn't just me being an Eagles fan, but, like, it's really, it's very telling of who the Cowboys are when they lose the big games and sometimes some pretty embarrassing games as well. And then they get into a game against a crappy team and they just decide to run up the score because they think it's fun. Um, and then they're not looking forward to the next week in the future. Like, I, I don't know. There's something about it that just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, no, it, it is. Uh, the Cowboys are arrogant and the Giants are literal trash at the moment so that is about the yeah. result that you well, the cowboys expect. were like the school bully and exactly. the giants were like the yeah. nerd that they were getting the swirly in the toilet they're the dysfunctional student <laughs> that uh you know what went outside of the special classroom <laughs> well you ever seen back to the future like the cowboys are like biff <laughs> right and then the Giants are like, oh my god, I forget his name. Marty's father. Um, McFly. <laughs> uh, have you ever seen Back to the Future? You need to watch So I'm actually probably the most uncultured person in terms of movies. So I, I finished all the Tarantino films oh, recently. I finished all the Tarantino films recently. So that's good. But I still haven't yeah, watched... Yeah, like, classic. Yeah, yeah. But I still haven't watched... Uh, Shawshank, which is ridiculous, I know. Oh, dude, that's a great movie. Yeah, no, I know it's oh, a great movie. I always hear it's a great movie. I never watched Wolf of Wall Street somehow. There's a lot of, like, really good, like... It's a little fun... overrated, I'm not is gonna it? lie. There's a lot of good memeage that comes from it, but I don't think it's, like, the iconic movie that everyone says it is. It's yeah. funny. I've... Like, it's good, but... I've that's never a watched a <laughs> lot of these movies that people consider, like, must-watch television. Or... Cinema, I guess. And eventually I need to get on it. I've been trying to get on it, you know, but uh, I've been a busy podcasting man. I got I got football to yeah. watch. I got... Yeah, there's too much football to watch. Exactly. I'm watching movies. That's what I'm saying. 
Why but watch anyways, a movie when you have a game like the Lions-Chargers game with a total of a million points scored throughout the game? I mean, th- this way. was an insane... This was an insane game to watch. Both defense just decided so not to show Justin up. Herbert. Oh, you got to feel, feel so well, He, he should have controlled the defense. His fault. You know, it's funny. That's what my roommate said. They're like, yeah, you can go out there and play some linebacker, maybe. Well, that, like, that's, that's, been the th- that's been what every Chargers fan is saying, right? Uh, I have no idea how people are dissing Herbert for this one. Like, what do people want him to do? Play defense? Like, that is I the... Mean, dude, how many... There is no way that you can give Herbert for this game. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it is completely out of the guy's control. He is doing everything he can and then still losing. It, it, I feel awful. Everyone feels awful for him. Yeah. But, but I mean, I will say, it was Chargers offense looked outstanding. Uh, I mean, so did the Lions, too. I mean, both teams just put on a clinic. I um, mean, Ben Johnson, what he did, uh, schematically, he, he was just pulling out. I love Ben Johnson so much. He was pulling out all these crazy tricks, and I loved every second of it. And for Herbert, well, hey, it, it, was, yeah. it was a nice breath of fresh air for him. It absolutely was. Because he hasn't been having some great year. He has not. So it was really nice to see him have a performance where he just balls out. And Keenan Allen, too, decimating Detroit. Detroit had no idea how to stop him. Both teams were just thrown across the middle of the field a lot because both teams couldn't cover anything with their linebacker. It was that. It was the tackling was so poor. I mean, nobody could get a tackle to save their lives. Like, the defenses might as well have just not shown up. It was a lock for the over. I knew that, but wow. Yeah, Yeah, it was... It was a shootout in every sense of the word. And then another thing I found interesting, and it really says how little respect Detroit has for the Chargers' defensive front, there would be, like, third and longs. Or not really third and long, but, like, third and six. And Detroit will run the ball, and they would convert. They did that a couple times in the game. And they also did it on, like, a fourth and four, I want to say. They just ran it up yeah. the middle with Montgomery. I, I mean, that is... People are going to say ballsy about Dan Campbell and the play calls in this game for a while, but it was a ballsy call to run it up the middle on fourth and four. It's a ballsy call to, I mean, you saw at the end of the game, it was, I think, fourth and two. And instead of kicking the field goal, they were like, oh, you know, our defense hasn't been playing well. So we're just going to simply get the first down, then let the clock run. And then kick the field goal, and that's smart because the, well, yeah, the defense I mean, I was, was playing say, awful. That's just good coaching. You got to know yourself. You got to know how your team's playing. Exactly. Um, you have to understand a game like that. That is just whoever has the ball last is going to win, and you want to guarantee you have the ball last. Smart decision by him. Absolutely love exactly. that. Amon Ra. He was lining up all over the place. That's something I noticed just watching the game. That guy's a freak. He's a freak. He he He's gives so me a lot of Debo Samuel vibes just because of like how they use him running back. He's a tough guy too, running back, wide receiver, slot. I mean they line him up everywhere. Tight end, he lines up 
everywhere. He's and a he weapon, dude. Like exactly. he transcends wide receiver a little bit, and, and it, well, actually, in a lot of ways, really. Um, yeah, and I really do like the way that Ben Johnson's been using him in this scheme. I just really hope that if Ben Johnson gets a head coaching job this offseason, that we don't lose that production from Amon Ra because he is a very special player. Well, you mean when Ben Johnson becomes a head coach because there's no way he goes another yeah, no offseason without getting hired, right? Especially this year, there's not as many highly coveted offensive coaches. Oh. Hmm? I feel it's like... True. It's I, true. I feel like it's only really Slowick and him, right? Unless I'm missing someone. I mean, maybe Joe Brady, but that might be it. Overall, the this game was just a shootout. Neither defense is neither defense wanted to show up. It was it was an exciting one, and I I think the the person that won, the team that won, was the team that had the better head coach. Because the better head coach knew how to operate in a shootout better. When Brandon Staley was saying, okay, we're just going to score a touchdown every drive. Dan Campbell was saying, okay, we're going to control the clock while scoring touchdowns. Because it's that easy. Yeah. Very, very simple formula for success. Washington's loss against Seattle, 29-26. to What's the thought with this one? Another close game came down to the last minute. Yeah, but, like, I'll be honest with you. The Commanders players, the players just on the field alone outplayed the Seahawks. Um, This game was a loss specifically due to Ron Rivera and poor clock management and wasted timeouts and just, yeah, just really not putting the rest of your team in in a good position to win the football game. Yeah, even though Seattle won, it was impossible to leave that game without a bad taste in your mouth relating to them as a team. Because, I mean, they still they have so much talent on the offensive side of the ball, it seems like they don't know what to do with it because they, they don't have an identity. Like, what would you say is Seattle's go-to play? What would you say is the type of football they like to play offensively? You have no Kenneth idea. Kenneth Walker left and Kenneth Walker right. I mean, that's well, all they got. You say that, you say that, but then Charbonnet is out snapping him. So, yeah, you know, even though it works for them, what offense do they like to run? What play do they like to go to? What types of formation do they want to go to? I don't know because they're running a little bit of everything. And, like, that's fine, but it's also not fine because they don't have an identity. They don't have a go-to play. They don't have a go-to formation. They don't have a goal offensively. Like, yeah, they have the talent to do everything. That doesn't mean you do everything. Like, you know as a Philly fan. Okay, yeah. The Eagles have the talent to do everything. If they wanted to be a really pass-heavy team, they could. If they wanted to only run the ball, they could. But what do they try and do? They try and run the ball. That is their goal. Now, when that's not working, then they'll resort to their ridiculous passing game. But they are a run-first offense that will dominate you on the line of scrimmage. And they'll do that while also utilizing their QB running game. You don't see Seattle have like a game plan offensively. And that's the problem. Yeah, Seattle's, uh, it's been so hard to diagnose, man, because they really do use their like players in a pretty creative way. Like, 
I really like their three tight end sets with like Will Desley, uh, Kobe Parkinson, and no Noah Fant. Fant. Um, and they and they do creative things with that, and they sometimes they run the ball. It's just so hard to figure out what they are too. They're one of those teams that I'm like they could compete with anybody on any given Sunday, but at the same time. They have embarrassing losses under their belt, so I don't really know. Yeah, exactly. They're a team that, again, I think their lack of an offensive identity. I think defensively, they're they're not too great against the run. I think yeah. that's something that shows a lot. But then Washington, again, even though Washington lost, they're the team you feel better about after this game ended. Biennemi is doing a heck of a job, and Sam Howell, as much as he makes mistakes. Like this is a guy who elevates a offense that really has no business getting above twenty points a game. I wouldn't say offense that has no business getting above twenty. I mean, they have an arsenal. Well, they have a multitude of weapons and and a very respectable wide receiver core. Dude, Sam with that with that offensive line. Yeah, that's bad. It's a bad front. Like that. Not, that's why I, I mean, I can't I'm saying. Howell makes up for the O-line being that bad. He makes up for the running game not really being too crazy. He makes up for a lot of flaws with this football team. And I'm not saying because Howell is some ridiculous quarterback. I'm saying because he's a quarterback he's that can kind of just... He can kind of just ignore what's going wrong. Which is a good and a bad thing. And we've seen when it works, well, they play a very tight game against the Seattle Seahawks team, that is pretty good. When it doesn't work, I, I mean, we don't want to start going on about that. Yeah, I mean. But the enemy has done a really good job maximizing Howell and his skill set, so I give him a lot of credit. Still, though, yes, sir. Seattle's the team that won. And I guess we got to give them credit for that, but which team do we feel better about? Washington. Oh, 100%. Especially after they dealt two of their best pass rushers at the trade deadline mm-hmm. and they continue to come out and compete every week, I'm very surprised. Well, I think a big reason why was because they could get pressure through the middle because Seattle's offensive line on the interior is really weak. So, Deron Payne, able to do a lot of damage. Jonathan Allen, a lot of damage from both of them. And that, that was a big reason why they stayed in this game. Now, last game we want to talk about, the Jets' primetime loss to the Las Vegas Raiders. Any... Uh-oh. Yeah, I know. Not, not exactly a fun game to watch. Pretty sloppy one. But, you know, it once again went down to the last minute. I mean... One could argue if Tyler Conklin didn't try and catch that Hail Mary, different game. Yeah, well, you, hey, you said this to me earlier when we filmed the first half of this podcast. You know, we, we can talk in hypotheticals all we want, but what actually yeah, happened on the absolute, field. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. But, yeah, I, this is like the primetime games this year have been so bad. Right. I mean, tonight we got a pretty good one with the Bills and the Broncos, yeah. but that one was really only entertaining because the, the Bills Broncos wanted ex- to yeah. give the ball away every drive. Yeah, exactly. Like the Bills just handed the game to a team that was definitely inferior. Um, but like this was the uh, this was just a battle of two teams. Like, 
like, eh, it was the battle of eh. Like, it's not a toilet bowl. Like, they're not bad. Like, I think the Raiders are a talented team. Um, and their defense is actually better than anyone will give them credit for it. Oh, yeah. And so, I wanted to just specifically name a couple of guys, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but. No, no, please do. Please do. Spillane is oh, yeah, Robbie extremely. Spillane. I made a film review on him on TikTok extremely underrated player. And I know he's not some freak athlete, but man, you want to talk about tough, gritty football player? He is a tough and gritty football player. I mean, and it's been that way for a while. Even before he was a full-time starter, he was getting goal line yeah, stuff dude, on Derrick yeah. Henry. Right? It was Back really... when he was on the Steelers, man, he was a good player. Yeah, he was. And he didn't get a yeah. lot of time. So now I'm glad that he's like a featured linebacker on this Raiders squad. And then Marcus Epps is a guy that, I mean, you know, as a Philly fan, very good player, but no one seems to really be talking about him. Max Crosby, I mean, people talk about the Miles Garretts, the TJ Watts. How about Max Crosby in that discussion? Playing like 98% of the team snaps, he decimates opposing offensive lines. I mean, he's ridiculous, man. Yeah, he's legit. He's the truth. So, this entire Raiders defense is a unit that I think is far too underrated by people. And the offense seems to be getting on track now that they're just feeding their studs. Devontae Adams, you're getting the ball whenever we throw it. Whenever we're running the ball, it's going to Josh Jacobs, and we oh will goodness. run the ball a lot. Yeah, who would have guessed? Offenses are better when you just feed their good players. Matt... Let's get our best players the ball. Yeah, Arthur Smith is absolutely shocked just hearing this. I wish I thought of that. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, Josh McDaniels was too busy feeding Jacoby Myers to notice. But, yeah. yeah, the Raiders have really been completely changing in terms of how efficient they are offensively because Antonio Pierce is there just saying, let's just feed our good players the ball. And obviously there's a spark that's been lit in under this spark that's been lit in spark that's been lit under this entire Lidden. Raiders squad. <laughs> I don't even think that's a word. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> a spark that's been lit, lit in, whatever. Under this entire Lidden. light. Yeah. Lighted. Thank you. Lighted. <laughs> Sorry. This entire Raiders squad is just coming out with a different flame of passion uh and it's because of pierce it's because of what he's been doing so i give him a lot of credit and then this jets team i mean they nearly won but didn't look too great for them it's because that offense is just give it to garrett wilson and if we don't give it to garrett wilson then reese hall is gonna fail to run the ball because the offensive line sucks you know it's weird it's two offenses that just try and feed their best player but it works for the raiders and it doesn't work for the Jets. Why do you think that it is? It doesn't work for the Jets because the play calling is so like I don't understand how NFL caliber play callers have not wrapped their head around the fact that everybody runs the same concepts. Everyone's got an inside zone. Everybody runs power. Everybody's got like a slant or stick concept. The difference is is how you prepare each week to run those concepts. That's why Kyle Shanahan, Mike McDaniel, all these guys are so good and their offenses are so productive. It's not that they're running any different plays than anyone else. It's just that they come out and they put window dressing on it and they fool the defense 
you know, they use motion, they incorporate different types of things, they run different formations, different blocking schemes, and therefore they get better matchups. But Nathaniel Hackett is running Madden rookie mode plays. <laughs> yeah. No, there's absolutely it, it, it bothers me. I can't watch ha- Hackett's it off and you know, that's why I was saying I think in order for Hackett to be successful as an offensive coordinator, he needs to have the Matt LaFleur. He needs to have an offensive minded head coach to add the window dressing for him. Because he doesn't. He can't. And it's shown repeatedly now, time after time after time, it has shown this guy only got the offensive coordinator job because they wanted Rodgers. And they got Rodgers, but Rodgers isn't playing right now. And Hackett doesn't know how to succeed without Aaron Rodgers. So, that's the terrible fate that the Jets are in right now. But, I mean, they're still nearly winning games because their defense is great, but... It sucks that defense is being wasted on such a terrible offense. Anyway, is there anything else you want to say about this game before we wrap it up? Or I, I have nothing good to say, so I'm just going to keep it to myself. <laughs> Probably the right call. You don't want to be pissing off the Vegas people. Yeah, I they mean, get a little bit rowdy, win, though, guys. Yeah, congrats on the win. And then the Jets people, the New York people. Let's be honest, are even worse. Yeah, Although everything, I mean, you guys, everything you, you guys want are to say. Trudes. Everything you want to say, they're already thinking. Let's be honest here. I live in New uh, yeah. York. I'm surrounded by them. Yeah, I'm sure you know. I mean, you look to your left, you got the Giants who can't yeah. get a first down. And then you look to your right, the Jets are, like, giving the ball to the other team. And then the Bills are also doing that. It's, yeah, and then you look up north. and Yeah, it's uh, it makes me ashamed to be a New Yorker with how bad these teams are right now. But, hey, what you going to do? Anyway, thank you all for listening to this episode of Goal Line Podcast. It was a pleasure having you on. Oh, Anything always. you want to say? Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess I'll plug that. Uh, follow Between the Tackles on TikTok. That's just at Between the Tackles. No capitals, no spaces, no nothing. Um, yeah, I do predictions every week. We didn't do particularly great this week because, you know, some teams just didn't want to do their job um, <laughs> at, at Buffalo Bills tonight. Um, didn't want to do what they were supposed to do and just win the football game. But we hit on a few upsets, some good stuff, so we'll be looking to get back on track. Thank you for coming on. And for those of you that want more of my content, check out at NoHuddleNFL on TikTok and Instagram. That is NoHuddleNFL with no capitals and no spaces. Also available on Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, at NoHuddleNFL with an underscore at the end. That is, again, at NoHuddleNFL with an underscore at the end. was a pleasure having you on. Thank you all for listening, and I'll see you all again, not just next week, but also on Wednesday or Thursday morning, because that's when it uploads. But yeah, two episodes a week now, baby. Let's go. Beautiful thing. Yes, sir.